There are many things in this life that we can earn. If you go to your job and you work hard and do what your boss tells you to do, you can earn a paycheck. It works that way, doesn't it? You can take some of that money you have and you can earn yourselves some more money by investing it or saving it. You can earn awards and trophies at work, at school, on the sports field, even on the battlefield. You can earn respect. You can re- earn respect by your, from your coworkers and your boss at work. You can earn respect from your friends and your family members. You can earn trust too, can't you? When you prove to be faithful to your word. You can earn trust of that person you'd like to marry someday and maybe they'll say yes. There's so many things that we can earn in this life. But none of these things can compare to the one thing we cannot earn. There's one thing that's more important than all of these that, that is we can't earn in any way at all. Oh, and don't get me wrong, we try. We all try really hard, very often. And, and we try to earn it thinking that, that you know, it's, it's going to work this time. <laughs> and, and if that's the attitude we take towards earning it, it's actually really spiritually dangerous. There's one thing you cannot ever earn, and Jesus wants you to know that. And that's why he tells this parable in our gospel lesson this morning. There's one thing in life you cannot ever earn. This parable, we we call these stories that Jesus tells parables. And and what a parable is, is it's a story that we can put ourselves into. It it connects to real life. We can can picture it and imagine it, but it's more than just a story. Jesus was more than just a good storyteller. Because parables have a deeper spiritual truth to them. They teach us something about God, something about uh, how he works. They teach us about us and, and our relationship with this God. And this parable here is no different. This story before us in Luke 15. This parable that we have before us is sometimes called uh, the gospel within the gospel or or the crown jewel of all the parables. And not because it's the longest of all of them, which it is, but because every one of us can identify with it. It touches the heart. It touches the emotions. And it so clearly gets across to us that truth we need to be reminded of, that one thing we cannot earn. Did you take note uh, in the gospel lesson that I read just before our hymn uh, from Luke 15? Who who Jesus is is with this day? His, His audience is made up of, first it says, the tax collectors and sinners. So these are the dregs of society. These are people who are living sinful lives, unrepentant. They know what God's word says. They were probably, probably you know, religious at one time, or maybe they grew up at least religious in their homes, but now they just do whatever they want and they don't care. 
And so you've got the tax collectors who cheated the people and stole and made, made all their wealth off of their living. And then you've got the, the, the sinners, which was probably how the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law dubbed them because they just had no disregard for God and his word. These people are standing here before Jesus on this day because they've heard about this Jesus. Or maybe, maybe they've already heard him before and they want to hear him again. He's sharing this absolutely amazing message that they just can't get enough of. And then in addition to those tax collectors and sinners, you, you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here too. But they're not here because they think Jesus' message is so amazing. They think what Jesus is teaching is reckless, even dangerous, because they believe that what he's teaching is actually against what God's word says. It's not what they hold to. And so you've got these two groups standing here. And Jesus tells this parable that has a message for every single person standing there that day. And for every one of you sitting here today. The parable starts out so simply. There was a man who had two sons. And one of those sons decides that he's ready to go out on his own. But he's pretty young yet. He doesn't have really anything of his own. So you know what you need when you head out. You got to have some money, right, to make your way. So where am I going to get some money? I know. The inheritance. So he goes to his father, and he doesn't ask his father, may I please have my share of the inheritance? No, he says, father, give me my share of the estate. He tells him, do this, dad. And he doesn't tell him what he wants it for. He doesn't tell him what he's going to do it for him. He doesn't even tell him why he wants it. Give it to me. Now, right here is a red flag. Because the inheritance would not be split out among the sons until the father died. That was the normal way to do things. So do you get what the son is actually saying to his dad? I don't care about you. I don't care about your love. I don't care about everything you've done for me in my life. Really, Dad, you're dead to me. I just want what I have coming to me. And what's the father's response? Is he been disrespected? Oh, most certainly. Are his feelings hurt? I'm sure that they are. But what does he do? He divides his property between his two sons. Not knowing what his son is going to do with it, what his intentions are. But that son certainly knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to spend this money. And, it, and it's not to go and, and invest it. It's not to go and start a family, settle down, build a home, buy some land. No. He goes off and he does what he knows he could never do in his father's house. And what he could never even do in his own country. He has to go to another place and he wastes all of the money in wild living. Later on in, in the story, his brother says that he spends it all on prostitutes. At least he does that until it all runs out. And then a famine hits that land where he is and he's got to hire himself out to a man 
and to go out in fields and feed pigs. The dirtiest of animals to a Jew. And so, so all those Jews, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law that are standing there, listening to the story, they realize just how far this guy has fallen. He's having to feed pigs? Ugh. But it's worse than that. He longs for the food that the pigs are eating. That's how bad it is and how hungry he is, how far he has fallen. He has hit absolute rock bottom. And Jesus says no one gave him anything. He was completely on his own. But then he comes to his senses. And he starts thinking. Starts thinking, maybe for the first time, back to home. However long ago that was. And he remembers what that life was like. And he thinks about how he was so provided for and cared for and loved in his father's house, but he knows that, I, and I can go back, but I, but I can't ask my father to, to take me back as his son. Look what I've done. He would never forgive me. You know, maybe if I go back and I admit that I've sinned, if I go back and, and, and try to make up for what I've done, maybe he can at least make me one of his hired hands because they've got more food than, you know, to spare than anything. Maybe he will at least employ me. And this is the speech. He starts to rehearse as he heads back. Heads back on that long journey home. He probably had a lot of time. And as he nears the house, he comes up to the house and he sneaks in and his father's sitting at the table with his arms crossed, an angry look on his face. And thinking to himself, what is he doing here? Who does this kid think he is? The disrespect that he's shown me? The humiliation in front of my family and friends and neighbors? He has squandered half my wealth. Look at this kid coming in here dirty and hungry and looking all ashamed for what he's done. So the father says to his son, what do you got to say for yourself? This better be good. No, that's not what happens. No, that's not what happens at all, is it? I mean, that's what you would expect, right? That's, that's probably what you or I would do, right? Maybe you've even done it before when someone has disrespected you, humiliated you, sinned against you, right? You, you let him have it. You know? No, listen. Listen to the amazing amazing response of the father. He says, while this son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. That is not what you would expect, is it? The father is not sitting in the house waiting to give it to his son. 
No, the father is, runs out to his son even before he gets to the house. He's been waiting for him. He's been watching for him. And then the son starts in on his rehearsed speech, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Even before he can get to the part about wanting to be one of his hired hands, the father says, nonsense. You are my son. No matter what you've done, you are my son. I don't know what you did with my wealth. I don't know how you've been living. I don't know what's happened. I can see you're dirty and you're hungry. You look ashamed. But you're home now. And what's this talk about being worthy of my love? Son, you can't earn my love. You can't earn what's already yours. I've always loved you. And I will always love you because you are my son. Welcome home with a hug and a kiss and a robe and a ring and sandals and a fattened calf, a celebration. My son was lost and is found. He was dead and he is alive. And they celebrated. That'd be a wonderful ending to the story, right? But it's not the end. Because remember, there's another son. There's this older brother. And remember from the beginning of the story, he got his share of the inheritance too already. His father's still alive, but his dad gave it to him. But he doesn't go off and spend it in wild living. He's still at home. He's still working for his father. In fact, that's where he is when this whole coming home reception happened. He's out in the fields working for his father. And it's not until that evening when he comes near the house and he hears the sound of music and dancing and he asks the servant outside, what's going on here? What's the party all about? And the servant tells him, your brother, he's home. Your father killed the fattened calf. There's a celebration because what? he's home safe and sound. But the older brother's reaction is not quite like this, the father's. The older brother won't go in the house. The older brother's angry. The older brother's so angry and so, uh, you know, will not go into that house that he makes his father come out to him and plead with him to come in. And maybe the conversation was, son, how can you not rejoice with me? You know how much I missed my son. Come on, he was, he was, we thought he was gone forever and he's home. How can you not rejoice with me? How can you not celebrate with me and my love for my son? And you, your love for your brother. But this older brother is, is not concerned about the love of his father. You know what he's worried about? Fairness. He says, Father, I have worked for you. I have slaved away for you. I've been so obedient to you. I've done everything that you tell me to do. I could have done what that younger, my younger brother did, but I didn't. I stayed here and I worked. I've been so obedient to you, Father. And you never even gave me a goat to have a little party with my friends. And what do you do when this son of yours comes home? This son, don't forget, who has humiliated you and disrespected you and who has blown half your wealth. What do you do? You, you kill the fattened calf and have a party for him? Uh-uh, Dad. No way. 
But the father continues to plead with him. Son, he says, everything I have has always been yours. I don't love you because of how you obey me. I don't love me because you've been so faithful to your work and to me. I love you because I love you. I love you and I've always loved you. How can you not rejoice with me? This parable is uh, in our NIV Bibles called the parable of the lost son. A better name for it would actually be the parable of the lost sons, plural. Because both of these men are lost. One of them thinks that he can earn the father's love back because of all the bad he had done. That he could make it up to him somehow. That he could earn his father's favor back and maybe get just back into, you know, be a hired hand. The other son is just as lost. Because he thinks he has earned the father's love by his obedience, by being very good. And the fact is, nothing could be farther from the truth than both, for both of them. And what Jesus is saying to those who are standing there that day, nearly 2,000 years ago, he's saying to those Pharisees and tax collectors, you are that younger son. You are the one who, who, who at one point knew the father's love, but said, I don't care, I'm going to go do whatever I want. You went and squandered your life and your blessings. But guess what? The Father's always waiting for you to come home. Always ready to welcome you back. To forgive you and remind you that he loves you and has always loved you. That you don't have to try to make up for all the bad that you've done or for the good you haven't done. No. You are loved just because you are loved by your Heavenly Father. And to those Pharisees and teachers of the law, he's saying, you, you guys are that older son. You realize that, right? Because you think by keeping all of these religious laws that somehow you have earned your father's love. That somehow because of your obedience that you have your father's favor. No. He loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you because of anything you've done or how faithful you've been. He loves you. You can't earn it. It's given. And there's no doubt that that day, that message had an impact on every single human being standing there, no matter what their situation was. And, and I pray that today this, this parable has an impact on you. no matter where you might stand, with that younger son or that older son. And maybe for many of us, it's both. Because, let's be honest with ourselves, how many times don't we know what God's word says? We know the love of the Father. We know all of the blessings that he showers upon us. But yet, what do we do? <laughs> Forget you, Dad. It's like we say, you're dead to me, God. As I go and do whatever I want, Whatever I please. And what happens when you hit rock bottom and realize, man, I have screwed up again? What's the first thought that comes through your mind? Well, if you're like me, it's, oh, what do I got to do to make up for the bad that I did? What do I got to do to fix this, right? Maybe I just got to do some good things, right? 
I, I just got to make sure that the good outweighs the bad. Or, or if I just, you know, if I start doing good things, going to church, giving offerings, you know, then maybe God will be happy with me and, and maybe then I'll get back in his good graces and at least, you know, he'll throw a little bit of a favor at me. This is the natural way for us to think. This is, the, this is the human way. This is the way the world works, doesn't it? If you want something, you've got to work for it. You've got to earn it. And how easy it is for us to begin to view God's love like that too. But maybe you also see yourself in the older son, if you're really honest with yourself. That you think that God loves you because of how you live and all the good you've done and how obedient and faithful you've been. I go to church. Not like all those other members that never show up. I give generous offerings, not just the leftovers. I'm faithful in my work. I'm a good husband. I'm a loving parent. I'm a good neighbor. I help the poor and the needy. Right? I'm the first one to raise my hand at church to say, Pastor, what do you need done? Right? Not like all those other people who just you know, disappear when there's work to do. Right? That's got to count for something. How easy it is for us to slip into that older son mentality that somehow what we do earns God's love and favor for us. And if you see yourself in either one of those sons, I hope you realize if you didn't before, you are dead wrong. There is no way for you to earn the Father's love because it's been earned for you by a son, by the son, by his one and only son. That Savior and substitute, Jesus Christ, who saw that you were lost. You were dead in your sins. That you try really hard. Boy, you look at they're doing their best to try to please God, but it ain't working. It can't work. And so what does that perfect son do? He comes and he takes your place and he lives that will of the Father perfectly for you. Perfectly obedient. Not to show you how to be obedient. Not so that you can someday earn God's love, but because you can't. He did it for you. And then, after that perfect life lived for you, that perfect life of obedience, he is willing to go to death all the way to being hung on a cross and to suffer and die for you and for all the times that you have gone off and thought that you knew better or that you didn't need God and you despised his love and, and you, in your words and actions, God was dead to you. He died for you. So that God, the Father, can always welcome you home. That no matter what you've done, no matter how bad, no matter how much good you think you've done, that falls short, your Heavenly Father's always there to say, come and receive what's yours fully and freely. Come and I'm watching, I'm waiting for you to come home. 
because I want to clothe you again in that robe of righteousness that is yours through Christ Jesus, that is yours through the waters of your baptism. To again, be reminded of who you are, not someone that has to earn their way into my family, but you are a member of my family, adopted by the blood of Jesus, forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, restored, forgiven. You know, the traditional name of this parable is the parable of the prodigal son. Right? That goes back to the King James Version. That's probably how you know it best, as it's called. Right? And prodigal, again, it means to be wasteful, right? to, to, um, to be reckless with, with something. And, and obviously, that, that younger son was prodigal you know, with, with how he spent his father's wealth. But, but taking off the series we're kicking off today, I think this parable could rightly also be called the parable of the prodigal father. A father who's willing to be extremely generous, lavish, even in a sense reckless with his love for us. To always be ready to listen and to welcome us home to always be ready to forgive our sins, to always be ready to rejoice with us. In another place in Luke 15, it tells us when one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven by the angels. And every time we come back and repent, every time we let go of our good works and our vain attempts to try to earn God's love and just cling to Jesus, there's rejoicing in heaven. Friends, you can't earn it. Don't even start to try. Just simply receive. Receive this reckless, prodigal love that our Heavenly Father continues to show to every one of us that he longs for the world to know because it's then, friends, it's then when you finally know this prodigal love of God that you can be free. You can be free from, from having to go and try to earn God's love and you can go just live in God's love and speak that love and share that love. There's rejoicing. There's freedom. There's peace. There's grace. Thank God he's not frugal with it, but he is willing to lavishly, richly pour out that continued love upon you through Christ Jesus. It's yours. Receive it, live in it, share it. Amen. Please stand.